Welcome to the Sobriety Elevated Podcast with your hosts, Kevin and Jim. We are dedicated to strengthening your recovery and elevating your sobriety. Thank you for listening. It is showtime. And we're back here with our guest, Molly. If you didn't get a chance to listen to our last episode, we got to hear about her uh, early recovery, what brought her into recovery. She has an incredible story of just how her life was and what happened that drew her to there. Kind of got to get the past and now, Jim. And actually, as we get to the present, everybody realized that Molly broke one addiction in 2011 and then in 2016 ended up going through two treatment centers. So, and oddly enough, I was working, I was contracting in both of those treatment centers. So I saw you in one and then I saw you in the other. And how has life been since you got out? And you can start with the IOP, then, you know, then wherever you would like to begin. How has life been clean? I am going to start off after IOP and sober living. So the middle of May, I moved out with my dear friend that I spoke of in the first episode. We moved into a two-bedroom apartment. And within 24 hours, she had relapsed, relapsed hard on all kinds of different substances and began prostituting herself out of our apartment. Thankfully, I had a really good relationship with her family, let them know what was going on, and they got her to go to treatment. This repeated two more times. And the third time I talked to the mom and said, hey, I can't have her back. And she agreed. She was wonderful. They moved all her stuff out. And then it became just my apartment. Fast forward to the following year, I got um, into a relationship with a man who I went to high school with who promised to bring me back to Oregon so I could be with my kids. And I had told myself in my head, I will do whatever it takes to get back to my family. And I went with that. I He came to visit me, was supposed to stay a weekend and would not leave. He wound up being abusive uh, all the way around and eventually got control of my money. And I got an eviction notice after being, you know, very faithful with paying my bills. So I actually wound up homeless while I was sober. And Wow. Wow. Yeah. On the streets of Midvale in the suburbs, hiding and trying to wash up in the bathrooms and all this. But you stayed sober through that. I did. I did. And so I think having that roommate with her really hard relapse, I watched her. All it takes is one drink and you've forfeited everything because we can't just take a sip. I can't. It's There's so much more that goes with that. So watching just add alcohol and see how your life is destroyed, that was very helpful. I had never been without food or running water or electricity. That was really rough and it was humiliating. And through some of that time, I actually held down a full-time job And then it became too difficult because you can't sleep at night for hardly any length of time for safety reasons. And then there's no shower. So I wound up calling into work a couple of times 
And then I also had lost insurance and I spoke last episode about mental illness. And so without meds, I am unstable and I get manic and do things like, I think I can stop traffic if I jump into this road and I don't have money and I'm hungry and went to a store and I stole some food and I got caught. So I lost my job that I had at that time. Yes, I was sober, but I definitely fell apart emotionally because of the, all those meds were taken away like that. And I was very irrational. I, actually went to an ER because I had enough insight to say, this is not normal. This is mental illness. I can't form sentences. I am way out there. It's very uncomfortable to be unstable emotionally. It's very scary to not be in control of basic things like, please don't jump out into traffic. That's a terrible idea. So anyway, Then when I got out of the hospital, I stayed with a friend for maybe a week and then bounced back to the streets with this guy. Uh, I got rid of this guy and was on the streets by myself and then at my friends. So, and then wound up staying with uh, this friend from work. While I did that, I learned that she was not in recovery. She said she'd been in recovery for 11 years. She was absolutely not. She had hard drugs. She sold out of her house. I had nowhere else to go. I was paying to sleep on her couch because I had got a low-paying job, $10, $11 an hour. Uh, so I was, again, financially trapped And it was scary because I don't want to be slapped with a felony. Had she been caught with drugs, I live there. So I found a way out of there as well. It took about a year and I came home. And that was 2020, right before COVID. So now, all of that said, I think it's important to look at, again, I had nothing in the sense that I had more because I had the tools to deal with it. I had the knowledge of, Hey, I just recovered from homelessness again with mental illness. I got hooked up with a clinic downtown Salt Lake that I could get free meds and free medical care. And they were great cheerleaders of me because they saw me coming in regularly. I advocated for myself. It was great. It was a good experience to be without healthcare and dental. It gave me a lot of compassion and insight to how physical health can affect sobriety and just day-to-day life. And it made me appreciate all over again that I did have good insurance that covered treatment. And it did at that time covered sober living as well. So now um, I'm in Oregon with my family. I had reconnected with family who were my biggest cheerleaders. I did that be, you know, while I was in recovery and outside of it. And the more time that went by, the more they realized she's actually, you know, she's doing this and she's building her life up. My kids will tell me how proud they are of me. And I was having a rough day just the other day. And Mason, my second son, he's 25. He lives with me, dropped me off at work and said, mom, Don't forget who you are and what you've done. You kicked homelessness ass. I don't know if I can say that, but I just did. (laughs) 
you have taken your life to a completely different level. I, when I moved back here, I got a job at the hospital. It's a very small community and the best place to work is the hospital. I started there with a job making $15 an hour that I loved in the ER and then had to work overtime in order to pay my bills, averaging 60, 70 hours a week for a year. And listening to my body is really important as well. I can't, I'm 49. I don't care how old you are, how young you are. It's not wise to carry on with that much work. I was actually given the opportunity to accept a new position at the hospital, making almost twice that. I have a bigger home. I'm able to have a dog and a cat and my son live with me. I can afford it. I am working on getting my license back as in the last episode I discussed that I had a DUI and just haven't had the money in order to pay for all the things I need to do to get the vehicle. So that's my last step of independence and I'm truly independent. I have all the tools that I need, whether or not I pick them up at the right time, that's still my choice, (laughs) but life is, yes, life is really different. Wow. I mean, that's an incredible story being through that much and, and staying sober. One is a challenge to it. It does show you said about the tools you have and, and ways to over overcome different things and all that. I'd, I'd like to hear about some of those tools. And, and another thing that you said that I think is extremely important is about mental health. And a lot of times, you know, sobriety and addiction and all that is all tied together. And I think it's important for somebody that's listening, maybe who struggles with mental health to know that sobriety and mental health can be related, but it doesn't mean if you get sober, all of a sudden your mental health is all fixed and you can go off all your medicine and all that stuff. So very important for that to to be shared. And so like, what does the tools that you talk about, what do they look like? Were they meetings? Were they, what, what kind of stuff did you do? In the beginning, I did meetings. I was obligated to do that because I was in a treatment center. I'm not a huge fan of the 12 steps, so, but I'm not against them. Just for me personally, I struggle with the meetings. However, I went into each meeting with the attitude that I wanted to get something positive out of the meeting, just taking a little nugget. And sometimes I got a little nugget and sometimes I got a handful of nuggets and some meetings can be really great. It depends on a lot of different factors. So the other tools that I still continue to use, many meditations, breathing, As we discussed, uh, mental health, it's really important for me to have regular checkups at the doctor, both for mental health and for physical health. Those are, seems like really basic tools, but, you know, we often, especially if uh, we're busy, we often forget or put off going to the doctor until something really serious is going on. I'm doing a terrible job now, but overall, Eating is also really important, what I eat, so I don't get overly tired and cranky and icky. I really have to protect uh, myself. I learned the term observe, don't absorb, because I can absorb other people's stuff so easily, and that makes me sick, and I can identify that. I also know that it's important to get out and walk with my music on. It's a great stress reliever and it clears my mind and I can have 
really good conversations with myself. Um, I've learned so many different things that were really absolutely important by being able to shut the brain off, get the body busy and receive from the universe. So those are just a few off the top of my head. In my eyes, you're a superstar. You are victorious over drugs. You are victorious over alcohol and painkillers. And you so understand your mental well-being that you're creating a life where you're winning at all of those. And especially after dealing with homelessness and all of the mental abuse, I really want to acknowledge you. And if you're listening to this, you can do this too. Absolutely. Molly is strong. Molly is a superstar. But more than anything else, what I'm hearing is a level of determination. And somewhere along the line, you just chose that you were not going to give up on yourself. Mm -hmm. And you are fighting so many fronts. The thing that I hear loud and clear is you said willing to go to any length at the beginning. I don't even know if that was this episode or last episode. Mm -hmm. You said you were willing to do anything. And I think you have proven that in a, a next level thing. I mean, you've been through some stuff and yeah. homelessness and all of these things that you've been through both, you know, outside of recovery and then in recovery and in recovery, mm -hmm. it's been a, a challenge yet. You used all of these different things to stay sober for one, but also have uh, a mostly positive outlook on life, you know, to say, Hey, there's hope kind of still mm -hmm. had hope. I can, I can hear it. in when you talk and, and I, I love that it doesn't matter. You know, I'm obviously, we always joke a 12 step guy, but it really doesn't matter what works. I don't, I don't care. Like I'm not like against other people doing things that work. And, mm -hmm. and uh, I think it's great. I mean, five and a half years, is incredible. So whatever's working, you keep doing that. You know, they always joke, uh, you know, whatever's working, do more of that. Stop doing the stuff mm -hmm. that doesn't work. And it sounds mm -hmm. like that's what you've done. So kudos to you. The self-awareness too with the mental health is huge. And I think that through sobriety and recovery is self-awareness is something we gain at a, at a level that a lot of people don't. I know for me personally, I'm more aware of when I'm being a little crazy you know, mental health is also a part of my my story too. And thankfully, I've gotten most of that managed and things like that, both pharmaceutically and also just my, you know, with other exercises and things that I do. Without sobriety and without recovery, I wouldn't, I would be in such denial about myself that who knows what I would be thinking. Like you said, you know, and, and I get it's manic episodes, so it's really not funny. Mm -hmm. When you said that, you know, I think these cars, I can get these cars to stop. That's the kind of insane things that my brain starts to say too, especially mm -hmm. if I'm drinking and drugging. Yes. And, you know, I do want to circle back because I think it's important that the one time that I purposefully chose to put myself in a situation and believe that somebody else was going to rescue me. I had such profound consequences to that. That's when I wound up on the street and nobody is going to be there to rescue me. I have to rescue myself and it isn't an immediate. Oh, I forget the word, but it's not an immediate fix. It's not an immediate rescue. It takes time to rescue myself. So I think, 
you know, and I promised myself after that, I saw what was happening. I've been a domestic violence advocate years and years ago. I knew what was happening and I chose to accept it anyway against everything I knew and felt. Those are things, that's where I wasn't willing to do what was healthy. I was very focused on one thing, getting home. Being in that position taught me, you know what, use use your damn tools because there's stuff that can happen you know, I could have avoided that had I done what I knew to do instead of saying, I know I need to do this, but I choose not to. So, and then I also want to add that in my very beginning of sobriety, both from drugs back in 2011 and alcohol again, even though to me, they're both drugs, was the the big book of AA and the book of Narcotics Anonymous, reading through those personal stories that are in the back, I identified with almost every single one of those authors that took the time to write what they went through. And that really opened my eyes to, this is the inside of an addict's brain. This is me. So I don't want to... Um, poo-poo the 12-step programs that work for a lot of people and to some degree it worked for me quite well yeah i like i like the saying where it says you know take what you take what you want and you can leave the rest you know so that's kind of Mm -hmm. where i'm at i take the good and and leave the rest with a lot of different programs out there but Mm -hmm. uh, molly i just want to say thank you so much for your vulnerability and for sharing your story and just like you identified with the stories in the back of the book, I know that there's mm-hmm. people that are going to be listening to you talking here and they're going to be able to identify with you. And And the biggest thing that I would say that I hear from you is just like hope, no matter where you're at, no matter what you're going through, mm-hmm. there's hope. We're thankful for that. And, and uh, I just, I really appreciate you. Well, thank you for having me. It's a, it was a real honor to be asked to do this. And Molly, I want to thank you for just being Vulnerable and authentic today. Your honesty will inspire others. I think when you get five plus years, you've done so much to really have the victories you have. And if you're listening to this, this is what a success story looks like. And this is what a happy life day by day, little by little is looking like. So Mm -hmm. I want to thank you, Molly, for joining us today. And for our listeners, thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Sobriety Elevated podcast. Please like us, rate us, share us with your friends and family. By doing that, you make the difference. The more people that listen to this, the more we impact the recovery around the world. Thank you and create an incredible day.